0: Welcome to another episode of HUGE, Everything You Need to Know About Big Changes in Washington. I'm Kristen Silverberg. It's the start of a new year, and Congress has returned to D.C. facing many of the same issues they left on the table last month. Looming over existing issues, like the fate of DREAMers and long-term government funding, are the midterm elections in November, which creates a challenging outlook for 2018. My guest today has said that 2017 will look tame compared to this year. Bruce Melman has joined me to share insights from his last quarterly political update and help us get ready for the year ahead. Before founding Melman, Castagnetti, Rosen, and Thomas, Bruce served in the Bush administration. He is the author of quarterly updates on the latest political trends, analysis trusted by business leaders and politicos across the country. Bruce, thank you for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me here.
0: So, Bruce, in your last update, you make the interesting point that a year into the administration, both Democrats and Republicans think they're winning. Can you say a little bit more about that, and who's right?
1: Well, I'd argue they're both right, which, as we all know, when you go into negotiations and both sides think they have the upper hand, it's an interesting dynamic. But let's start with the thought experiment. If at the start of 2017, you said the Trump administration would pass the biggest comprehensive tax reform in three decades— meaningfully turn the apparatus of the state from regulatory to deregulatory, especially hugely in areas of energy and labor, uh, set the record since 1891 when the circuit court uh, was established of the most circuit court judges appointed and uh, you know nominated and appointed, repeal the individual mandate penalty, which some would say is pulling the string on the Affordable Care Act, see a 70% reduction in attempts to cross the border uh, illegally, have a 98% take back of territory from ISIS and see one of the best stock market uh, bull runs of a first year of a presidency, I think certainly the Trump world would say that's their wildest dreams, and most opponents would say there's no way he's gonna get all that done, but all of those things happened. At the same time for the opponents, if you were to say at the end of this first year, he, the president, will have the lowest overall approval rating of any president in moderate, since they've been doing polling, uh, at the end of their first year would have had only one real legislative accomplishment. You could argue some of the uh, CRA but I count them as regulatory reductions. Um, would The Democrats would win every statewide election in Virginia, would win a Senate seat in Alabama, you know, ruby red Alabama, uh, and have all of the apparent momentum going into the midterms, they would say we'll take that deal in a heartbeat. That's fantastic. We're excited. So. Both sides actually have those as their uh, first-year attainments, and it's, it's setting up for quite a face-down in 2018.
0: So the, so the Trump administration has, on the one hand, this record of policy accomplishment. The Democrats, on the other hand, have poll numbers in their favor, some really important uh, special election, really important special election win. What does this mean for their strategies for 2018? If both sides think they're winning, how do they behave going forward?
1: at least by historical terms, both sides, when a side thinks they're winning, they double down. It's working. So let's do more of the same. One of the core challenges uh, that we got into when we went under the hood and looked at some of the numbers is for all of the Trump accomplishments of 2017, none of them required 60 votes, which you and I know is required to get anything done in the Senate. Uh, The tax reform because of reconciliation only required 51. And when you take a look at what They've either punted or what is coming up in 2018, they all require 60 votes. Uh, it's going to get a lot harder. Uh, mathematically, when you take a look, the frequency of party-line votes, and the trick is you've got to pull out unanimous votes, whether it's post offices or other things that weren't contested, anything remotely contested. We've got the most, we had the most party-line votes in 2017 that we've seen since the turn of the 1900s, you know, the turn of the century, last century. Um, that's not a climate in which uh, the muscles of compromise and uh, forging bipartisan agreements and each side giving in something are being exercised, and the politics make it even more difficult. So it's, it's uh, with both sides doubling down and the uh, pattern of cutting deals unfamiliar to this Congress and this administration, we're just setting up for either a shutdown, showdown, or a lot of gridlock.
0: Is there legislation that could move on a bipartisan basis? A number of our members are watching CFIUS reform, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S. Could that get 60 votes? Are there other initiatives that could get bipartisan support?
1: So uh, we're in an alternate universe? Yeah, there's a lot that can. We just saw, actually, with the surveillance reform,
0: mm-hmm. it
1: got 60 in the Senate, or maybe 65, but it e- eked out. Um, it's pretty important. Uh, there are international threats. Infrastructure, in theory, could have bipartisan support. You'd lose the no deals with Trump, period, left, and you'd lose the don't spend uh, unless it's tax cutting and then somehow it's not spending right. But you could have 60 or 70, at least in the Senate, down the middle uh, on uh, on the right kind of infrastructure package. Uh, I think there is probably a similar Amount of support if you fix the sequester cuts on the defense side and marry each dollar for defense with a non-defense dollar, you'd have that same kind of support. Uh, perversely, there is the 60-plus vote support for the Dreamers, for and it doesn't have to be overall immigration reform, though that would be terrific. But even just intelligent, let's get out of. We don't. We shouldn't deport 800,000 productive people who came here as kids and and have done nothing but. Admirable citizenship, although not citizenship. Um, So that should be doable. Uh, It's the politics uh, and the personalities that are standing in the way of what are uh, a lot of potential accomplishments.
0: It's an election year, of course, so (laughs) so both sides are incentivized to to motivate their bases. And how is that playing into the dynamic?
1: You know, in 2018, that's going to probably be everything. Uh, The Democrats perceive with reason the opportunity to take back the House and perhaps even to capture the Senate and so that quickly becomes their prime directive and more important than anything else Um, Republicans likewise uh, understand how hideous it would be both in the administration and otherwise if the Democrats take either body their powers to do oversight and investigation and subpoena their powers to block anything legislative Potentially regulatorily, although you, you need to pass a law and have a president sign it, so that's harder to do. Um, both sides see the elections as a great opportunity. Uh, I can handicap it if you want. It's on the Republican side, uh, the hope is the map. They've got uh, districts that are almost entirely safe House Republican seats. The Supreme Court's looking at whether the gerrymandering that often made so many of those seats safe is constitutional or not. But as of this morning, they said that the North Carolina court that found those districts unconstitutional, um, they don't need to remedy them before 2018. So that's done. Districts, the map favors Republicans. Likewise, midterm demographics are always older. They're always uh, less diverse. um, They're always more conservative. And that was even true in the uh, ever-so-fun-for-Republican year of 2006, when the Dem wave took back the House and the Senate. Still was older uh, whiter and, and more conservative, and Republican House, Republican Party committees are out fundraising their Democratic alternatives. For the Dems, though, they'd say, all right, the single best predictor of how a midterm is going to go is the pres- who, who has the White House, they're playing defense, and what's the President's approval? If the President's approval is over 60, you're, you might gain seats. That happened in 98 and happened in 02 ain't over 60. If it's between 50 and 60, you lose, since 1962, an average of 12 seats. It's not between 50 and 60. If you're under 50%, you lose an average of 40 seats. Well, it's 40% right now, uh, as of real clear politics. That's a challenge. The second best predictor after presidential approval is what's called the generic poll. They ask a voter, would you rather see Congress controlled by Democrats or Republicans? And that's been a remarkably accurate predictor, even as early as a year out. The Dems have double-digit leads, which is almost unheard of. The last time they were double-digit leads really consistently was 82, and that was Watergate hangover. Um, they ask, are you very or extremely excited to vote, something that Republicans led in 2010 and led in 2014? Half the Democrats and only one-third of the Republicans are fired up and ready to go. When you look at some of the demographics, groups like millennials, moderates, white women, um, Democratic lead uh, in the generic ballot among those groups is epic.
0: So when you balance that out, on the one hand, Democrats have to defend more seats, um, the Republicans have more money, they may have a better demographic in terms of the midterm voter, but on the other hand, Democrats say the president has terrible approval ratings and history says that we're going to pick up a lot of seats. When you balance that out, do you think the House could flip?
1: Well, yeah, the House is absolutely in play, and I'm, you know, Lifelong Republican. I used to be the lawyer for the Republican House Committee. I'd love to spin you as best I could. And again, it's a heck of a good map for the Republicans. But we're seeing, uh, I think we're going to see the most retirements since 1992. And that's not a bold prediction. I think we only need three more, and we've hit that number. Uh, And maybe the most since World War II. That remains to be seen. Perhaps how that sexual harassment uh, Me Too scandal thing plays out on the Hill. Uh, But the House is absolutely positively in play. Uh, It's not gone. Uh, We still could hit the election with peace and prosperity. Uh, Voters are generally frustrated with Washington and the way Washington is, and part of the Trump appeal has always been to blow up the uh, the, uh, kind of elite establishment uh, elements of Washington, and that plays pretty good in a lot of the districts in question. So there's an argument to be made for Republicans, but if you or I were told you have to sit down and play a hand of cards, you'd play the Dems' hand in the House. The Senate's, boy, it's really hard to see. The map there is the one where it's uh, 25 Dem seats being defended, 10 of which Trump won. Only eight seat Republican seats being defended, only one of which Hillary Clinton won, Nevada. Um, it's, uh, there's just a lot of Dems who are at high risk you know, in seats that Donald Trump won by uh, 10, 20, 30 percent in places like North Dakota. Um, That all said, the history, you know, I'm a history guy, you go back in history and you say when your party holds the White House, you are 80.5 percent likely to get reelected as a Senate incumbent. When your party is not holding the White House, you are 96.5 percent likely to get reelected as an incumbent senator. I'm sure uh, Joe Donnelly and some of those guys take comfort in that because otherwise they're in tough seats.
0: So so play this out. Let's just say, hypothetically, Democrats take the House, but Republicans hold the Senate. So what does this mean? You pointed out earlier that Congress has subpoena powers, they can launch investigations, and we would certainly expect the Democrats to do that. What else would that mean for, for example, the policy agenda going forward?
1: You know, it would mean a couple of different things. First, the oversight, investigation, the energy among the base to impeach the president for something. You know, I'm not sure they've... They haven't found a uh, high crime and misdemeanor, but they so personally despise the guy that they're turning a lot of uh, complaints, and, of course, the Mueller commission may give them uh, more uh, more rational ammo to shoot with. Um, whether the unruly House, if led by Nancy Pelosi or other leader in the Democrats heading to the re-election, could focus their minds long enough to cut deals remains to be seen. Um, uh, I think uh, a Chuck Schumer-led Senate with a very narrow majority, one could envision that environment being not dissimilar from 1995, where, recalled uh, Bill Clinton... Uh, had been uh, had had lost the house and lost the Senate you had Republicans coming in sweeping clean with the contract on America and then Bill Clinton pivoted to the center, you know, and Clinton was uh, Less of an ideologue. He was not a progressive. He was a so-called new Democrat uh, And he decided things that he previously was against he was willing to be for because it was politically expedient That certainly fits everything. We think we know about Donald Trump's ideology Donald Trump's you know art of the deal type philosophy the challenge may be that I'm not sure a Pelosi or other Dem-led House with Donald Trump as the president uh, is, ha- has a base willing to see uh, compromises, even if they get 60 percent of what they want, compromises with this president. I think post-Charlottesville it's so poisonous.
0: In the meantime, we're seeing a lot of departures from the Trump administration. And what do you, what's the implication of that?
1: Well, uh, it's, uh, it's disruptive. Uh, it's churn. Just when you know who you think you're supposed to be dealing with, they are departing. Um, The numbers were pretty extraordinary. When you take a look at the White House top staff turnover in the first year, um, Reagan had been at 17%, which had been the modern high. Bill Clinton, 11%. George W., 6%. Barack Obama, 9%. Donald Trump was 34%. Uh, Every one of those presidents that I've mentioned previously saw more turnover in year two, which, you know, you were in the White House at a very high level. It's not the easiest job if you want to have, I don't know, a life, a family, or sanity. It's just, staff works so hard, it burns you out. Uh, And what that means is the continuity to work on policy issues, to to, uh, see an idea from concept to uh, proposal all the way through is just really hard. And these things don't happen in in three-month cycles. They happen often in three-year cycles. So for business dealing with the administration, one thing we've already found is you need to not, there's not one go-to person. Uh, You don't go to see Bob Zellick or or Rob Portman to deal with a trade issue.
0: Bush administration. Yeah, and Bush administration
1: veterans, right. These days, there are the so-called globalists. There are the so-called economic nationalists. There are the sort of the ex-Democrat family folks. You go and see everybody. Um, with an all-of-the-above strategy, uh, it's if you change all of the faces and all of the seats, you still have to go see all of the above, but uh, it's uh, a bit of a new conversation instead of a continu- continuation of the conversation you'd had last year.
0: That's great advice and super insights for our members, so thanks so much for joining today.
1: Thanks for having me.